some blueberry pancake tea today. What the? What kind of tea do they not have? Some good ASMR. What'd you say? What kind of tea do they not make today? I mean, probably a lot. Like, cheese pizza. I'm sure they've made it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, blueberry pancake tea from David's Tea, if anyone was interested. Shout out to David. Should we start doing a, I was thinking about this, should we start doing a what kind of tea is Marcos drinking segment? Because I'm usually drinking tea, whether you know it or not, whether you Mm. notice. You're so self-involved. You never even mention it. Well, I just thought we were um, talking about movies, not tea. But if you want to spill some tea, we we could do that as well. <laughs> you know who probably loves tea? Your boy. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. The Brit. Because he's yep, a British lad. Right. <laughs> he's a British lad. He likes... I'm sure he likes tea. I bet oh, yeah. you he... Wakes up in the morning wearing like a three piece suit, three piece suit version of like a nightgown. <laughs> Hair is like perfectly quaffed. What's the word? Quaffed? Coiffed? <laughs> <laughs> well, yep, you're probably I, right about the tea. Like He makes himself British. a cup of tea yeah. and goes out on his like back porch or something and like reads a book and then thinks about time yeah exactly I don't even know how to do this anymore <laughs> are we done is that it <laughs> we talked about Christopher something Nolan there with Letus and <laughs> <laughs> I know I was like I'll bring up Christopher Nolan for a segue <laughs> and then it just went nowhere so that was great. That was great. I saw Oppenheimer recently, which is the movie we're talking about today. Um, what was your viewing experience? My viewing experience? Good question. Um, before I answer that, welcome to Movies from the Middle Row. This is a podcast uh, about movies made by two guys who love sitting in the middle row of a movie theater. And I did not see Oppenheimer in the middle row. Um... I went to my local movie theater, so not IMAX. Uh, the closest IMAX to me was no longer showing it. Like, it was huh. showing it, like the theater was showing it, but not in IMAX anymore. Oh, bummer. Which was strange. Yeah, so, but it was fine. I don't think I was, like, going to end up seeing it in IMAX anyway, uh, just for sake of like convenience but let's see went with some people we sat in like one of the more back rows i as much as i love being in the middle ideally like i still firmly believe that like if the movie is effective and well made like it's going to be effective no matter where you are unless you're in like the very front row that's like right that could be detrimental to a movie watching experience. Yeah, um, you've got neck pain. You have to look back and forth. Exactly. 
the, I guess the one plus is you get like more leg room. That's always <laughs> a hard thing. But it was good. What was your experience like? Yeah, so we did go to IMAX. Um, I felt like I really wanted to with this one because I missed Tenet in IMAX. Um, so I just kind of was itching to get the intended experience again. So I made sure to get tickets for that. Um, pretty much in the middle row. Re- really good seats, I would say. Um, packed theater. I mean, it was the opening weekend, uh, you know. But pretty good experience. I kind of expected the volume to be louder than it was even, but... Oh, wow. It was pretty loud even in my, you know, small local theater. I expected my my ears to get, like, overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. it felt balanced, which I didn't expect. Maybe it wasn't loud enough. Yeah. Well, that's, like, something we're probably going to talk about a lot is everyone's been talking about, like, the sound design and Oppenheimer and sort of the sound design in all of Nolan's movies is kind of a talking point nowadays. Um, I do think it was mixed, like, the mix was done well in this movie. Mm. Like, not to get ahead of ourselves, but, like... Tenet, there were not great scenes like Dark Knight yeah. Rises, Dunkirk, and I know that some of that is intentional. Some of that is like a product of a way of making movies that Nolan doesn't like to compromise on. But I thought that it was I could actually understand mm-hmm. most of the dialogue in Oppenheimer. Yeah, I agree. I think if you missed any dialogue. It was just because it was so fast or a lot was coming at you. It wasn't that the audio was too quiet, which has been the case, or it's obscured by some loud whirring noise or something like that in, in previous mm-hmm. films. So I agree with you there, um, which I actually think that's a big improvement. I think you should continue that that trend yeah i have i don't know how true this is i've heard that just from listening to other podcasts that nolan he doesn't like to do adr so like Hmm. voiceover dubbing after the fact after shooting a movie where the actors come back and re-record lines because they didn't get good enough audio or there's something obscuring it Mm -hmm. apparently nolan does not like to do that which doesn't surprise me He's like a purist or whatever, but he, uh, but the 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 volume of IMAX cameras is are like very loud, like film IMAX right. film cameras, and so there's like some magical way that he and his team or whatever capture audio on set, and I've heard that that's part of the reason why it's some of it some of his dialogue has been hard to understand in the past because Mm. of this way that they capture audio that minimizes or completely does away with the sound of the film stock Mm. going through i don't know that's it's kind of interesting be interested to see like what that 
process is like. Maybe he uses AI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I think the bad audio probably peaked with Dark Knight Rises, though. Would you agree with that? Or do you think Tenet was worse as far as, like, missing dialogue? Um, I think just, I feel like just on its, on face value, it's worse in Tenet, but it doesn't matter as much in Tenet than it does mm. in The Dark Knight Rises. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like there were literally, like, lines said in Tenet that were, like, you're not supposed no to clue, do. no clue what you just said, but also, like, I'm so lost, and I think that's, it, it's sort of, dialogue doesn't necessarily matter Mm. whereas like the dark knight rises is a comic book movie you're relying on some level of like understanding plot mechanics in a certain way or the villain's intentions yeah exactly (laughs) so yeah so like if you can't understand like what your villain is saying half the time Mm -hmm. i don't know they definitely fixed it i think dark knight rises gets kind of a bad rap on that front like they they fixed it and mm. they and it I, I think bane's voice sounds cool so you think they you mean they fixed it upon home release or fix it after the first initial screenings in theaters they fix it after the first initial test screenings or whatever okay um but people still complained but i don't think it's like as bad as people make it out to yeah i actually think what people don't like about the bane voice is tom hardy's choice as an actor oh really i mean i'm sure they collaborated on what they wanted but it's not the typical bane voice that you may imagine from the comics or previous iterations you think darkness is your ally I was born in it. Wow. Molded by it. That's pretty good. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Maybe I should do the whole podcast like that. No. Oppenheimer really had me hooked in the first two acts. But the third act lost me a bit. <laughs> That's a spoiler for later. Um, well... Well, Zach, what were your thoughts about Oppenheimer, a Christopher Nolan film? I feel like I haven't really fully expressed my thoughts about it yet, so this may be cathartic or like... Just let it out, man. Yeah, I'm just going to let it out. This This is a safe space. (laughs) Unless Bane comes back. (laughs) I thought it was an excellent film. Um... I don't think it'll go down as one of my Nolan favorites. So, I don't know how to uh, reconcile that. Like, I don't know. Hmm. I just... Like, what do you I mean? What needs to be reconciled? Like, it basically, I think, being his best film, te- technically. Mm. But it's not what I love about Nolan, I would say. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you there. I, that's, so, like, huge. I think that, I think we're going to see it either because I think it's masterful and technical on a technical level like right his best but yeah well yeah yeah, yeah, i mean i just i go to nolan for like complex ideas dumbed down if you could say and like 
how he yeah. plays with sci-fi, I think, is where I really enjoy um, what he approaches the most. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm talking Inception, Interstellar, I'll throw in there. Um, I just like more of when he does the thriller aspect or, like... Mm-hmm. Um, like, high concepts uh, yeah. brought down to sort of, like, the real world quote-unquote because right obviously he's he's not a hyper realistic director mm-hmm. but he is like he seeks to ground i think his movies in some mm-hmm. sort of reality that is like similar to our own yeah i mean i i think it's gonna be hard to like this might be the best biopic that's ever been made Whoa. So, I just mean, as far as the complexity... Yeah, no, I'm just and... trying to think of uh, examples to <laughs> to prove you wrong. I'm probably <laughs> wrong, but that's like... No, I I'm more bring kidding. that to say <laughs> that a lot of biopics are very boring. And they basically look like Lifetime yep. movies compared to Oppenheimer. Like They follow a formula. Yeah. At least at now, at this point in time, they do. Yeah. I mean, they really, they usually never have anything interesting to say. Um, yeah. They really don't deal with the nuance of the person. Um, or it's super flashy. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it's about musicians. So, all, you know, they throw in all the music as like an yeah. easy catch for the audience. And they just kind of can be lazy, but. I mean, it truly is incredible that, you know, alongside Barbie, Oppenheimer, a movie about a scientist or a physicist, is one of the most popular movies of of the year. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that he can make something like that interesting, engaging, and, and just see a path in for a mass audience. Yeah. I think is really, um, a skill that he has so um i've been talking a lot but that's kind of my general thoughts what about you yeah i think i i think i'm with you uh for the most part like yeah it's it, it is it's pretty wild that like this movie um is like an, an is like a cinematic event that like gets people to go to mm-hmm. the theaters just bit if you were to look at the subject matter alone, right? like you said, it's not about that. It's about Christopher Nolan more than, more than, uh, the, the content of the movie, like, or the subject matter, like people are going to see it because it's Christopher Nolan and because of his track record. And I mean, he's like, um, I heard people describing him to like, like our like a modern day Spielberg and that he's like craft wise it's like top of the line and in terms of just like an intrinsic understanding of like film and like film language and storytelling uh but it's also like accessible like you were saying and like he's making blockbusters <laughs> like blockbuster mm-hmm. movies um 
And those two things typically don't go hand in hand. But there's like Spielberg does it, Nolan does, Nolan can do it, and like I don't know of any other director that can do that right now. I think mm-hmm. like Greta Gerwig is like the next person coming up that is going it like has that ability to bring an audience in regardless of the subject matter just because and it's going to be given like big stories and topics to direct right, right. So, yeah they're going to maintain their particular voice like i think every movie christopher nolan has made has been like maybe with the exception of the dark knight rises has been like a movie and story he himself has wanted to tell and he's mm. been able to tell it in the way that he wants to tell it which is pretty unique um and i think that can be said of greta gerwig too which is also just like such a crazy meeting of the minds or like movies that like these two movies like Barbie and Oppenheimer came out on the same day and mm-hmm. just yeah like it's a cool it's a cool thing um yeah i think going off or in the future i could see Hollywood trying to program weekends like that in the future. Oh, yeah. Because it was so successful. I don't know if you'd call it counter-programming or just joint programming. I don't know, but, like, yeah, just both pity. movies made a ton of money, and they came out on the same weekend. That's truly... It's it's yeah. just it's it's hopeful for for movies um, mm-hmm. in the industry. I would say, um, especially for the theaters, for sure. they needed something big this year. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that like, you know, once like the strikes end and stuff, mm-hmm. which hopefully you know, the studios meet demands of like the people striking so that these movies can continue to be made. But there's no doubt that Hollywood is going to learn all the wrong lessons from this. <laughs> and they're not going to be able to replicate it until the next Christopher Nolan movie or Greta Gerwig movie comes out. Like, mm. But to get back, so like my, my just like general thoughts, I said like I agree with you mostly. Um, I felt like it was almost overwhelming how like immersed and taken by the movie I was in like the first two thirds of it. Like, Mm -hmm. like you said, it is like, it's just masterful. Like, I think it's, I think it's Nolan, like working at the top of his level in like every single respect and going even further uh or going in new directions maybe so many of his movies of his best movies like rely on a sort of interesting idea and i felt like this was like the first movie where he like you said was just telling the story of a one man's life um but doing it in a way that was like artful and 
I don't know, just like new for him. Like mm-hmm. there were just images and like ways he was using using like just visuals that I feel like was just new for him. And I just mm-hmm. and that was exciting to watch. Like mm-hmm. like I was kind of going in expecting like, okay, what's the weird way he's gonna tell the story? What's is he gonna do like a Dunkirk thing, you know, where there's like multiple timelines and he's jumping in and out of them. Uh, and he does kind of do that in this, but it's not so like, here's this timeline and then here's this timeline and you're doing this kind of like puzzle in your head that's like mm-hmm. fun, but it just felt so much more natural mm-hmm. in the way he was like telling the story and he was using visuals in a way to communicate and evoke feeling that um just felt like he was going to like a new place um and so all that to say i was like this is like a masterpiece um it kind of loses me i think it has flaws and there's there's things that i think are unnecessary there's things that story-wise i think could have been cut down but yeah so i don't know that i would call it a masterpiece mm-hmm. but masterful it's, it's definitely masterful and like the heights that this movie reaches are like some of the highest heights that he's ever reached mm-hmm. like as a director mm-hmm. would yeah. you agree with that yeah definitely like as you were talking, I was thinking about, yeah, like the new imagery he uses, like he kind of goes into abstract imagery, I guess. Yeah, it's like almost it. impressionistic. Like, right. Yeah. He, he wants you to like imagine this imagery being a character's mind, mind state kind of is, is what I think it's supposed to be. And, and, um, even mm-hmm. I don't know. Even the dialogue was a lot different, especially in the first hour. I think I felt a little bit like overwhelmed in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just trying to keep up with everything that was going on, but I think in in a weird way, this was actually one of his recent movies where I was not confused with what was going on I didn't feel like I was one because I couldn't I didn't feel like I had time to even think about (laughs) trying to piece anything together like he doesn't give you moments of silence to be like okay well I just no but something I think that's really cool is he almost eases you into the time shifting Mm -hmm. just merely based on whether the scene is in color or in black and white. Yeah, but even that... Because that's basically what dictates whether you're watching uh, the past or the present, right? Well, I actually don't know if that's true because there's scenes in it that are 
taking place during the same time, but then they're at one point they're in black and white, at another point they're in color. Like, think about the scene where they're like meeting around the table, and hmm. at one point you're kind of seeing things more from Strauss's perspective, so it's in black and white, and then another point is from Oppenheimer's perspective. Okay. At least that was my understanding. No, because you at, might fir- be right. at first I was like, oh yeah, this is this is telling us the the time. Um but all of his all of the scenes of him as a student were in color and it was only the later scenes with Strauss that were in black and white or the, that involved Strauss in some way, like Robert Downey Jr.'s character that were in yeah. black and white. And so that's what made me think it was more communicating like a point of view than it was like and maybe mm-hmm. trying to help with like, hey, this is the storyline we're in. Mm-hmm. That's just me though. I've yeah. only seen it once. No, time. I mean <laughs> again, that's the one thing about Nolan is he always rewards second viewing. Um but yeah. I think you might be right because I wonder if I was just conflating the two. Because it probably does happen that most of the time the you know, the create the creation of the bomb was in color because that's Oppenheimer's perspective. Mm-hmm. And then most of the scenes with Strauss are probably in black and white, which is kind of the I don't yeah. the present day. Well, so that- I, I bet I was just mixing the two up. But yeah, but it's kind of what I mean about like him doing new things because you would think the I think the assumption for like just like the average movie mm-hmm. goer is like when something is in black and white it is signifying oh. older or like yeah, yeah something historic this happened before the events of this movie are taking place. But he's not using it for that, I think. And so it just makes me think like, oh, okay, he's making these scenes in black and white for a certain reason. Hmm. And just that choice feels like something he's like not done in other movies, you Hmm. know? Um, Yeah, not to say that it's still not like a little confusing at times of like what's going on. When is this happening in terms of the overall story uh but i do think that the fact that it's a biopic kind of prepares you to jump around in time a little bit mm-hmm. you know like it actually makes sense for him to be jumping around in time because he's trying to tell the story of this guy's mm-hmm. entire life basically right. and like or some of the most key moments of his life and um I think the general audience has an understanding that you have to go back and forth in time. So it's something that is like dictated by the story as opposed to like, I'm Christopher Nolan. I want to tell this story uh, in like these three sections and like mm-hmm. they're all moving at different speeds and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Dunkirk or like, uh, not to say that like that's not good. Like Dunkirk is amazing, um, and that's a re- it was a really cool idea that I think was executed really well. But I'm just saying like it's like it's like his most 
I'm jumping around a lot, but it's like his most uh, impressionistic and like artistic, so to speak, movie, while also mm-hmm. being his most straightforward movie. Because mm. it's just a biography right. about a series of events and a person dealing with, <laughs> right. you know, the revolving the around basically one guy. I mean, yeah, exactly. That affected a lot of people, but. Yeah. It, but it's like yeah. a person who actually existed. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really done that. Right. I think, I mean, Dunkirk was based on a true story, but no, the characters are kind of all stand-ins for... Yeah. I mean, literally the idea of the movie is that the characters basically represent the country. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some new things that Nolan did that I did not <laughs> like, that you may have already alluded to, but... <laughs> Certain. What I mean, this is his first mean? R-rated, R-rated <laughs> movie, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think. So one I one actual flaw that I think this movie has is like I think everything with Florence Pugh can basically not be in the movie, and it wouldn't yeah. change the movie at all. Hmm. Is there anything else that you didn't like about it? Maybe we can pivot to move that. on from the negatives, but <clears throat> um. So, I mean, I think the only other things I didn't like it, it's not so much that I didn't like it. This movie is kind of split into three parts. Generally, like it's Oppenheimer as a student, um, Oppenheimer. Uh, corralling a team to making the atomic bomb and then like the aftermath of the bomb dropping um, or bombs dropping and Oppenheimer's uh, dealing with that and also dealing with uh, a lot of the ways that like you know bureaucrats in the country try to oust him or like I don't know how exactly to put it because like I mm-hmm. don't totally get everything that was going on mm-hmm. in that third section of the movie. Right. I know he's like trying to renew his security clearance basically. That's like the gist of what mm-hmm. the sort of trial is about. Um So those are the sort of three chunks and I think that yeah, to say I didn't like it would be too strong. I, I think that the the legal stuff towards the end lost me a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, I wanted to be more with him dealing with the effects of the bomb, which it does spend time with that. But I would have been more interested if that was more of the... If that took up more of the time in the third part of the movie than a lot of the the legal stuff um and some of the stuff with robert downey jr's character who is i think is so good in the movie and he's like probably gonna get an oscar nomination and like maybe may even win an, an oscar but i do feel like that part as well was sort of underdeveloped um like with robert downey jr hmm I also do you, feel like do you they agree pick, with that? Yeah, I also feel like they establish a lot 
and then they expect you to pick back up at the end again after like the essentially the climax of the film or at least the most exciting part but I totally agree with you like I enjoyed the last hour but on on rewatch it's going to be hard once you finish the trinity test yeah to be no, like the, okay we got a whole hour of this yeah well that's the thing is like it was still visually engaging to a certain mm-hmm. extent um but that was that was the one part of the movie where i felt like and maybe some of the florence Pugh stuff where i felt like okay he's this is like stuff that's in the book that they're trying to fit into the movie Hmm. um and so i don't know if you can like knock it for for trying to stay true to the Hmm. to the text that it's that it's sort of based off of but um i think for a movie you do kind of have to pick and choose sometimes like what you're going to focus on and what what is going to make for a more effective story? Yeah, I think it's just too hard to... Like, essentially, in real life, the Trinity test and the dropping of the bomb is kind of the biggest event in his life. And there's no way around that in movie form yeah. to to say, like, but this part of his life was more interesting after that. It, it's just not like right. it was the possibly the biggest event of like the 20th yep. century and yeah. and that's it, where it's like this the second most interesting thing would be him dealing with the effects of it mm-hmm. you know right. and that's yeah. why i'm like they kind of do that but it's right after yeah that and it's not very long yeah which i did love that scene if we can get, talk about a specific scene where he's Which, kind of in the assembly hall and it's more like a, a nightmare oh, yeah. scene. Yeah. But that plays with sound and crazy, almost horrific images. I, I thought yes. that was um, without yeah. actually like showing <laughs> mm-hmm. the horrors of what it did. It gets, yeah. it's still very eerie and disturbing. For sure. No, it's definitely horrific. Like, that was, like, yeah, that was one of those moments, again, where, like, Nolan was, like, using sound not just to, like, overwhelm and immerse, but, like, he was actually doing things that were, like, playing with reality, but doing it in a way that only a movie can do. There were parts where, like, Oppenheimer is talking and like the background behind him is like shaking but he's like perfectly still Mm -hmm. and you're just like whoa what is happening and different moments in that scene where he's like all all you can hear are like like people's footsteps and like shuffling of feet and like Mm -hmm. at one point some like little girl screams like it's it's such a yeah, like it just puts you in his headspace so well. Right. Um, yeah. that, and I think that it's very believable incredible. that that could be something that, like, the actual man would have 
yeah dreamt about like the pain he mm-hmm. caused but mm-hmm. uh something i heard that was interesting was that the one kind of grotesque image of the movie mm-hmm. of you know the the girl i think basically it kind of shows what the effects of radiation would have been yeah i heard that that was christopher nolan's daughter oh yeah i heard that too which read into that what you will but as kind of a, (laughs) a a thesis statement of maybe why nolan was attracted to the topic was yeah basically what are we passing down to our next generation like yeah the fear of that and what have we wrought kind of that also kind of i'm glad you mentioned that because that that makes me think about another thing that i feel like is unique to this movie than any of his other movies is that like i feel like this is the first nolan movie where he's actually like uh sharing his thoughts about Mm -hmm. a topic Mm -hmm. or like historical event that is like wildly important you know and like Mm -hmm. a ton of people have a ton of thoughts of about Mm -hmm. it all um there are people obviously who who i don't think would say that like the dropping of the atomic bomb had no negative impact i don't think there's people who say that but but there's certainly people who you know say that it was like a good thing in the law in the grand scheme of things and that it was like the right move and like i know that's a complicated conversation but nolan is definitely has a point of view about it and he's like jumping right into the complexity of like i'm not saying oppenheimer's a bad person but i'm not necessarily saying he's like this american hero either mm-hmm. like i like like he doesn't like valorize him in a way and i think there's just sharing my personal thoughts some of my personal thoughts about it like i think there's obviously things to commend oppenheimer for given the situation that he was in and the ways that he was sort of manipulated and especially after the fact like brushed aside but he also still created a weapon that killed tens of thousands of innocent people (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know like and there's that whole scene with with president truman you know saying like basically calling him a crybaby like you're not the one who dropped the bomb like Mm -hmm. you're not the one who gave the orders and i don't know that to me is interesting that like i don't feel like we've really known what christopher nolan as a guy thinks about issues like this Mm. we more get like he's interested in these sort of high concepts and these ideas relating to time and space and magic Mm -hmm. and like uh and the sort of place of the superhero in in a society like so i yeah i don't know if you you have any thoughts about that but i feel like it's like it's definitely his most like political movie obviously yeah i mean i think one of my favorite parts and one reason i think it's really good is because of the nuance and Mm -hmm. care that he gives to the topic um 
in a with a lesser director, especially in Hollywood, it would have been very easy to, I think, make it a very political movie. Um, and I think you're mm-hmm. right that he does have an opinion, but I still think he leaves room for the discussion. And he, mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of resurrects the discussion of like what should we what should we be doing with mm-hmm. like our um the nuclear technology that we have um maybe that you know it's kind of in the back of our minds that mm-hmm. that it, they could still be used especially with the recent um you know war in Ukraine and all that but I think in the early 2000s, or at least for me, and I think for you too, like, we always heard, like, you know, during the Cold War, or even our parents or grandparents, like, the nuclear paranoia was, like, a defining feature of life. Like, they used to do nuclear bomb drills in school. Yeah. And all that stuff, and that's just something we never experienced. We almost saw nuclear weapons as... Like we talked about the other week, it's just another weapon that's going to destroy the world in Mission Impossible. Like, we don't see it as a real threat. But I almost feel like him making a movie that deals with the technology and, you know, whether we should have, you know, whether we should have even messed with it in the first place kind of brings the topic back up. And you, you can feel that he... He does fear it, I think, and wants the audience to feel that way, too. Like, be careful what we're doing here mm-hmm. with this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think he does have, he does pretty clearly at least share his thoughts on, like, like, at least what he believes Oppenheimer felt about it. And mm. I get like, I haven't read the book that is based on American Prometheus. So I don't know how accurate it is. I've heard it's pretty accurate. Um, but so in that sense, yeah, he, I guess I feel like he shares his thoughts through the through the character of Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer himself believed like the last line of the movie that, that, you know, he was a part of destroying the world basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and he says that and that's where it ends. And so like, I do think he has like a pretty firm sort of, belief at least as far as saying like like there was no part of this that was good like maybe there's an argument for saying that uh part of this was was necessary to save american lives but then you're confronted with the question of like well do like the means justify the ends you know, like, 
and for for me personally i'm like i just don't understand how you could how you could say that they do like uh i just feel like we're taught in america at least that like we're just taught a certain narrative and we're taught like about the bombs dropping and how it was just this thing we had to do but it's like i'm not a political scientist or whatever (laughs) but i also have like a higher sort of standard for morality that i pull from that tells me uh no like my choices aren't contingent upon you know like a and I know I'm ranting right now, but <laughs> this is the most serious podcast we've ever done. <laughs> but like, but like, like, it just doesn't justify it. Like, it just doesn't. And I think that like, it's it's a very literal interpretation of this movie to only be looking at it through the lens of like atomic bombs and nuclear warfare as opposed to greater ideas of like do means justify ends uh when we're talking about like like creating weapons that that of you know of mass destruction <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and like unleashing them onto the world and just opening that door um uh I, I feel like i just said a ton of stuff but yeah but no, that's I mean, the sort of thing which is you know a, a testament to the strength of the movie though right. those are the sort of ideas that i came out thinking was like just the like it's absolutely horrific like everything about it was horrific um I, yeah i don't know yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the fact that it sparks kind of, I mean, if if this movie hadn't come out, we wouldn't even be talking about that, that idea, I think. So, I think it's a testament to it, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, I'd probably come down a little bit different on on the issue, but just as far as... Yeah, it's probably yeah. one of the hardest questions to to debate in, in the world. Like what? I mean, I and mean, I'm and I'm coming at it just like from a, basically a pacifist. Like I'm coming at it from mm-hmm. that sort of perspective, and right. so like I know not everybody lands there mm-hmm. on issues of like self defense and you know weapons and weapons of mass destruction, but like yeah, so. Yeah. Tell me everything you think about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I think you know we joked about that that this has been our like heaviest or darkest episode, but like that's the tone the movie gives. Like there's no getting around it. It doesn't end yeah, with it's true. like a V-Day celebration that we won the war or yeah. you know any of that stuff. It it yeah. truly is Nolan's probably bleakest um For sure. movie. And, you know, I do think, I just wonder if there's a, a parallel of, 
what's the next dangerous technology that that he wants us to consider maybe it's ai i, I don't know <laughs> i don't I think just... that yeah no i'm sorry yeah, i'm not trying to like discount that question because it's a valid question i guess just for me i felt like i walked away not thinking about questions like that and thinking more about like what do we as humans just on a day-to-day basis how do each of us uh wield our intelligence and our power uh and do we think about the ramifications of the way that we wield that those things and the responsibilities that we have uh or do we are we so overly consumed with can we do these things and like like our abilities and our strengths and the sort of like american exceptionalism that like leads to these sort of things and it's not just america that like deals with this but like i don't know i i I came out of it thinking much more about like gun rights and like um you know just like (laughs) day-to-day things where where we don't often like stop and think like about the complexities of these issues so uh, i'm obviously showing my cards but i'm not trying to say that like you have to think this i'm just trying to say like that these issues are complex and it's not just like what side of the aisle are you on but like do we have these kinds of conversations um Mm. when it comes to decisions the government makes about things like this i guess I don't know. Maybe that's a completely. <laughs> I was reading into all of it. Yeah. Well, I, I think, <laughs> I think, I guess what's more important is what the movie ignites in you as far as the questions it raises than necessarily what For he sure. intended. So, I don't think it necessarily matters what 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 he wanted you to feel. You know. I mean, it's important as far as whether it succeeds or not. But yeah. what you take from it. I think is is really what's most interesting about about a movie and especially that's usually what makes a movie personal to you is what you take from for it. sure so what did you think he was like like what do you think he was like wanting you to walk away with mm. Cause it's a heavy like it's very heavy you can like yeah. appreciate all the technical stuff, but at the end of the day, like the fact that we're talking about this is evidence of like it being effective. Because mm-hmm. a really good movie should lead to these kinds of conversations, not like look how great the sound design was and look how great the cinematography was. Right. <laughs> like, that stuff's fun to talk about, but like, uh, yeah, the subject matter is lends itself to this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he, I definitely think Nolan would advocate for total nuclear disarmament. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he would, Fair I enough. think if he could go back in time, like maybe that's his next movie, 
it'll be about a time traveler that stops Oppenheim from (laughs) making the bomb. But the problem is that Russia would have done it. Japan would have done it. Right. Unfortunately, America made it first. Um, I think there's a lot of, I I know the setting is in America. Yeah. But I think there is an aspect of, in, in human nature, there is a um, dangerous and violent side. And that goes back even to one of the initial scenes where he basically poisons an apple. Yeah. And it's never, it's literally <laughs> never brought up again. Almost like, it was almost like that was Adam's sin or something. I don't know, like. Just the whole imagery of mm-hmm. there's incarnate sin in all man. Mm-hmm. But so I think, and you know, most of the main characters in Oppenheimer, I think you could say, were either evil or had malicious ends. Or caused great pain. So we know Strauss was oh, deceitful sure. all along. And mm-hmm. he had no good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think even the kind of prosecutors that are interrogating him and all the witnesses are clearly like they have an agenda and they're not being honest. Um, mm-hmm. And Oppenheimer, you know the way that it shifts from, you know, you see some light sides of him, but a lot of dark sides too. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it, it's a very bleak outlook on just humanity in general. And yeah. I don't think Nolan has faith that we're prepared for the next great debate like this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I want to, like, keep pressing, but I don't know if I should. What do you want to press me on? <laughs> it's just, well, you you mentioned, like, you mentioned the problem being Russia would have gotten there first, Japan would have gotten there first. Um, I guess is that something that you believe, or is that something that you're just kind of stating as just, like, a objective reality? Like, well, as far as, like, you believe, as far as, like, that being what America should have done, I guess. Well, I know I that's guess a really I'm not big, complicated question. Necessarily but. advocating that America should have done it. I'm more pointing out that Russia and Germany were working on the same technology, which the movie acknowledges. Right. right. And do is there any doubt that they would have used that against America or other countries? I mean, yeah. why would Germany not have created an atom bomb and just totally destroyed Poland? Mm-hmm. Why, why even bother with rolling tanks mm-hmm. into a country anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, but, so I think, I don't think America was came out clean (laughs) but I think that um 
if any other country had gotten it. I don't I don't know if I don't know if it would have stopped. I think that we hmm. I think that it was I would never have done it myself. I could never have have done that. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I take your side mostly of, you know, pacifism. I don't I don't want to harm people, but I think we were one of the only countries that would have had the restraint to stop. I I don't know. Hmm. Maybe yeah, I'm no. wrong and maybe you're right. Maybe I'm making no. assumptions, but I mean I have no there are idea. aggressor nations <laughs> that are actively today still trying to conquer other nations for sure yeah and gosh i'm way you know out of my league here and like we both are yeah we're both <laughs> speaking above our pay grade it's so unbelievably hard because i think my worldview and the person that i place my faith in the person that I believe in who is Jesus I think does because he does have a I think based on like the words in scripture like an approach to uh, uh, violence and nonviolence that is sort of irrespective of like this is how you should act unless you know you're your enemy has a bigger weapon or a bigger bomb or is more malicious or is more powerful, then you know you have full reign to to protect yourself in any way necessary and, you know, stop further damage from happening. It's so hard because I just don't see that. And it, that puts such a, a difficult um, tension, I think, on us of like I don't mm-hmm. think we're supposed to have the clear answer but I but I also don't think we're supposed to act out of self defense and fear because we have like a greater hope and a sure outcome if we're followers of him and it's just yeah (laughs) like it's so it's so big because i came out of this movie thinking all this stuff and inevitably you know it's like first conversations are like he was still right to do that right or like like oh he was like this terrible person right like Mm -hmm. just like right you know making all of these conclusions about the movie and the characters in the movie and one of my fears because movies are so powerful is that like someone watches this and doesn't wrestle with those things you know what i mean and i I, it would be very hard not to i think like this movie is clearly not saying by any stretch that like oppenheimer was a perfect man and it was a good thing that he invented the atomic bomb and that America mm-hmm. dropped it on Japan. Like, it is definitely not saying that. Um, which is notable when there are certainly people who believe that. And people in this country who, who, you know, 
would go see a movie that was advocating for that narrative, you know? And so in that sense, it's like, I'm not saying he's so brave, you know, to like put those ideas out there, but um, I don't know. I don't even know where my, where I'm, (laughs) (laughs) what my point is with this whole rant. Uh, It's just so, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean that. No that's really all you can say when the movie ends. Is, <laughs> yeah. That was a yeah. lot. Yeah. I mean, three hours of just an assault of sound and mm-hmm. images and ideas. Ultimately, I mean. Yeah. Like I, I'm interested to see what he does next because mm-hmm. because I I think like he has now shown us that not only does he have <laughs> sort of like opinions about some pretty important subjects um Mm -hmm. i mean there's like a line in the movie where matt damon screams at at a at a scientist you know saying that this is like the most important thing to happen in the history of the world (laughs) you know like um i think that like yeah i'm just interested to see what he does next because He's shown us, in a sense, what he can do now, and which sounds silly to say because he's Christopher Nolan, but um, it almost feels like it would be weird if he just like made another Tenet or something, mm. <laughs> like just made like a spy movie. Yeah. Um, do I just want him making Oppenheimer's? No, <laughs> but uh, I am curious to see like what what comes after yeah i did hear he was in discussions for bond again but he's always in discussions (laughs) for bond yeah would you would you think that would be cool for him to do or would it be too constricting i i wouldn't be interested in that Hmm. i don't think he would i don't think he will do it um just as a principle I don't know. I just, I think, I think he loves that franchise and he obviously references it so much and has gleaned so much from it, but I think he's kind of already done it with Tenet and Inception and The Dark Knight. Like, I think he's, I think he's too interested in other things, Hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it would have to be a crazy bond, like. It would basically yeah. have to be a re- reinvention, yeah, or a major for sure. I just don't see him playing with the character because it's. I don't know. I mean, I, I just would don't even know what, how he would approach it. But yeah, I'm sure. Like, if he ever did it, obviously it would be great. But I would be disappointed that we wouldn't be getting like an original another original idea Mm -hmm. um or a interesting take on you know a person's life or a biography yeah or historical event um because he's but then again he has shown us pretty much with every movie he's made that where you could think in your mind like oh that movie 
is going to look like this or that movie is going to be taken this way like at every step of the way he's Mm -hmm. taken comic book movies and heist movies and spy movies and these different genres historical movies and made them unique um Mm -hmm. made them like stand out in some way so i i would never discount him but Mm-hmm. Do I want to see a James Bond movie made by Christopher Nolan? Not really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're like well past an hour and like <laughs> didn't even talk about like the Trinity test or Killian Murphy or Matt Damon. Yeah. We almost just like need to do a whole other episode um, on this, but <laughs> I don't know if you want to keep going or not. Because, man, that Trinity test was freaking crazy. Yeah. Why don't we end on that, then? Just the just the Trinity test? Yeah. Okay. Just, like, how we, yeah. how we thought it worked. Why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought... So, you know, bringing up another specific part of the movie, the kind of the big set piece... The Trinity test, uh, the much talked about in the news of he did it all practically or, or whatever the news was. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But basically the first time that the bomb was tested, a lot of things leading up to it, a lot of characters that we've been introduced to kind of culminating all together in one scene. Yeah, it's almost like turns into like an Ocean's Eleven movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like this scientist and this scientist. Yeah. And oh, they're also, by the way, being played by like really famous actors that you recognize. Right. And <laughs> almost other a movies. lot of comic actors too are ones yeah. that normally play kind of comedic roles. But Yeah. Um, he Jack also Quaid. gets to play around a little bit with time and distance because there's like three different mm-hmm. bunkers ba- mm-hmm. based on where they are relative to the test which i thought that was kind of fun it was almost like a a mini movie he was yeah. playing with the bomb goes off here and then like almost five minutes later in the movie it mm-hmm. hits the last row of people i thought that was kind of fascinating yeah. and it, it kind of got me gave me like Dunkirk vibe in that mm-hmm. you know he's playing with delayed time or mm-hmm. characters experiencing the same event from a different perspective I mean it's definitely the I guess like we said the point in the movie where once you get past the Trinity test it's hard to come back yeah it is the middle row moment Oh <laughs> like yeah, we, we've been doing this segment of like, what's the middle row moment of this movie where like yeah. this has to be seen in a movie theater, um, or is best experience in a movie theater? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's definitely the the leading up to the Trinity test and it dropping, um, especially because it's the one chance for him to do like pure spectacle in a mm-hmm. way. Um, which is nothing I thought about. Is like this movie has no action set piece. There's mm-hmm. no fight scene in it. Right. There's no like. It's all very normal things, other than you know all the physics and the the yeah. Trinity test stuff. 
Science but, and bureaucracy. And exactly. <laughs> but it's he does it, it tells it in a way and moves the camera in a way uh, that um, just makes it feel every moment feel like, like the most important mo- moment, you know, in mm-hmm. the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the whole yeah. lead up to the test was like nail biting. Like I was like yeah. literally on the edge of my seat. Like it was, and I was almost like a little, like it's, it's almost anticlimactic because he makes the choice of, uh, not, of using silence, like after mm-hmm. it's dropped. Right. And I think there there is some sound you know after after the fact and like sort of once it reaches them mm-hmm. um like bright lights and stuff but uh but yeah i thought that was an interesting choice that it was it was full of spectacle but he didn't default to like big bomb big explosion yeah big sounds like you see close-ups of the fire and the flames. Like, you see close-ups mm. of people's faces. Right. You see, like, bright lights covering Oppenheimer's face in, like, pure silence. Like, it, that that was definitely a, an artistic choice that I was like, whoa. Mm. That, that was, like, the right choice to make mm. because otherwise it would have been pure spectacle. And I don't think that's, like what you want to be conveying when you're you know showing the showing a atomic bomb dropping on film yeah yeah i mean i definitely had like a physical reaction to leading up to and during that scene oh yeah like heart racing like just nervous like I, i was having like small anxiety of just not because he kind of draws yeah. it out and he makes you wait for it and yeah and just I, honestly i was expecting my ears to get blown out that's why i was kind of <laughs> yeah. having that reaction because i was like i don't want to harm my ears from what he's right. about to do but you're right he doesn't like that's what you're expecting and it's mm-hmm. still effective and probably one of the loudest things you'll ever hear but <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't play yeah. out like you expect it to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, yeah, it's just so well done. And I and I do, like, we're not going to have time to talk about every actor who's in this. But Matt Damon, like, ev- every, like, I heard some people, I think the big picture or maybe Blank Check was the podcast we're talking about this movie and... I think it was Blink Check. They were talking about, um, like, the fact that none of us, no, like, average person knows who these scientists uh, actually were, other than maybe Oppenheimer, Mm -hmm. and obviously, like, Albert Einstein, and maybe, like, Teller, the character that Benny Safdie plays. But, like, Nolan uh, casting, like, really recognizable faces and actors to play Mm -hmm. all these roles was so smart Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you have 
you don't even have to know about the scientist or the character because you yeah. you are associating them with who you yeah like how you know them as an actor or actress yeah. like and all it, you have to do is recognize their face exactly to connect scenes together exactly like in that in it and he did that to do that in a way that doesn't take you out of it is like mm-hmm. really impressive because i was watching josh peck freaking yeah. drake and josh yeah. pressing the button that sets off the <laughs> atomic bomb test and i was still fully immersed like i was like that's josh peck but that is that character right um because i had no reason to like not believe it because it was so immersive and engaging mm. um like Josh Hartnett is great, uh, Benny Safdie, uh, Jack Quaid. You might have heard this about Matt Damon already, but the, what I what he was saying in an interview that he basically was planning to retire for a little while from acting to spend more time with his family. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And he told his wife, "I'm gonna I'm done acting unless Nolan calls," <laughs> and it and that's what happened. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But what a he's good choice, so good. too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's really good. Killian Murphy, obviously, he he should win an Oscar for this. Yeah, is he going to take it? I mean, I don't know who the whose Next. competition is. Right. You know, mm. uh, we'll see. Maybe Tom Cruise will win for Dead Reckoning Part 1. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they'll give it to him for Part 2. <laughs> yeah i i don't know because my my votes for ryan gosling and barbie for, for supporting su- that would be supporting right yeah but yeah, i have a hard time imagining unless there's some other great performance that like robert downey jr wouldn't wouldn't get it mm. um that wouldn't be my pick but hmm. yeah what other future episodes do we have planned so far <laughs> Well, in the future, you know, we were plan we were thinking about making this a Nolan ranking episode, mm. but obviously that wouldn't that would have been the wrong choice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> given how long we talked about this. Yeah. It would have been as long as Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Three plus hours um of Zach and I just fighting it out. Um but uh, we are going to do that still just as a separate episode. So we're going to try to look at all of Christopher Nolan's filmography, um, not including Doodlebug. Have you seen Doodlebug? Yes. You have? Okay. It's on YouTube, I think. Yeah. I probably just watched it on YouTube. <laughs> um, and uh, that's like one of his short films. Right. <laughs> but... We're going to, yeah, rank all the Nolan movies. We're going to share, our, like, our own personal rankings and personal favorites. Uh, uh, and then maybe try to come up with a combined ranking. Um, I will say, just spoiler alert, um, Oppenheimer's in my top five. Cracked the top five out of, mm. what, 10, 11? 12 12 wow if you count okay. following yeah i do i haven't 
seen it. I started watching it once. I think I rented it from somewhere. And uh, I mean, gosh. don't worry. It's at the bottom of my list. Spoiler. Okay. So don't even well, worry about see, it. See, that's why I'm like, I feel like I need to watch it because it's like, yeah, it is his first feature. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm like, it's just going to be the end of the list anyway. Yeah. Right. Unless it like blows me away. Right. Which I'm not counting on just because of his other movies. Right. Um, so nobody be mad at me if I don't end up watching following before that episode, but we're going to plan on doing that. Um, we're going to do an episode, uh, on Barbie and Greta Gerwig. If Zach ever gets his butt to the theater to go I watch will. Barbie, um and so that'll be fun love Greta Gerwig I mean we talked about her some in this episode but like yeah I don't know what to say that hasn't already been said um she's like uh three for three at this point in my opinion for or for four. movies or four if you count uh a co-directed film that I can't even remember the name of me neither um but yeah and maybe we'll get back around to the rocky series too if zach doesn't already hate me for making him watch all the rocky movies i'm the one who wants to keep going i want to finish them i know i know and i am the one who has sort of backtracked and been like well should we keep going we why don't we just do like mini mini middle row episodes yeah 20 yeah. 20 minutes on rocky three or or maybe we combine three and four or something but yeah we gotta get to i gotta get to creed at least yes for sure no i and i'm just like so far removed from like creed yeah. three at this point well i'll just read the synopsis to you and then you tell me what you remember from the movie yeah that sounds like okay. a great idea for a podcast sure yeah <laughs> no i think we can do uh rocky three and four one episode okay Rocky five and six is like the worst of the worst. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I think, I think we just do a Creed trilogy episode. Okay. I'm just thinking about that on the spot right now. Yeah. So don't hold me to that. But yeah, I mean, unless you think, think we could like they should be split up. I mean, I'm fine with that. I think we could, we could def- definitely split them up. But uh, just for time, but just for time's sake, and I and I do think they lend themselves to like talking about them all at once, uh, just because you know you have Ryan Coogler started off, and then get a different director for the second movie, and then have Michael B. Jordan directing his first feature with Creed three. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting saga to like track through talk about we'll see we'll see uh yeah if anybody's listening still listening at this point um didn't get didn't turn off the podcast angrily uh and you have ideas for for movies or franchises or series or directors you want us to talk about let us know um where can they find us i guess letterboxd (laughs) for sure middle row pod on letterboxd and Pod. we'd love to get probably some reviews on itunes if uh if you're enjoying it uh you know yeah. every podcast says it but it you know it helps a little um 
you know, give us feedback. If we talk about something too much, let us know. Uh, For sure. If the audio is bad, let us know. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. What's your letterbox count? My letterbox is just my name, I think. Marcos Navarro, no spaces. Um, and mine is Zach R116. Zach R116. Uh, yeah, follow us on Letterboxd. Um, it's a fun place. You know, I did not write a review for Oppenheimer on there just because all of the thoughts that I shared today were just ruminating all around. And I'm like, how do I write a review Yeah. right now? Um, this is a great discussion about good. a very <laughs> tough, heavy topic. Yeah, well, I'm glad you thought it was great. Um, but it was also fun because Nolan's one of, I think, our mutual favorite directors. So we had a lot sure. to say. Yes, I think this will this will definitely go down as a sort of turning point for him um, and maybe a standalone th- type of thing depending on what he does next. I mm-hmm. don't know. I did hear that he that his uh, Howard Hughes script was very similar to Oppenheimer in its mm. structure. He had written he had a plan for a Howard Hughes movie with Jim Carrey before. The Aviator came out, and uh, so he scrapped it because Martin Scorsese made The Aviator, but apparently it followed a similar structure to Oppenheimer in terms of, like, he found out how to tell a biopic through writing the Howard Hughes movie. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for listening. Um, Thank you to Peter Hoover, who... Uh, uh, provided the intro and outro music uh, for this podcast and um, thanks for listening to Movies from the Middle Row we'll, We'll, we'll see you next time we'll catch you next time bye later